Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. For decades, it seems, people have been complaining that Burning Man has sold out, lost touch with its original values, or simply jumped the shark. The annual images of hedonism and glamping tech billionaires have made the week-long celebration in the Nevada desert an easy target. Yet for many, the Burning Man experience continues to be life-changing and transformative. And the event's influence on arts and culture in the Bay Area and beyond is undeniable. So today, we take a look at the festival with proper skepticism, but also recognition of its place in people's lives. How does Burning Man need to change in the year 2023, 37 years after it began out on Baker Beach? That's coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Man, 37 years of Burning Man. An event that began with 35 people standing around on Baker Beach has become this annual pilgrimage to Black Rock Desert. I'm not a burner, but this year it felt like the social media mockery of the festival took on a particularly mean cast when attendees got stuck in the mud after an unusual rainstorm. Still, even some longtime burners are saying the festival needs to change to become more inclusive, more sensitive to the environment, and more prepared for an extreme weather future. As attendees are making their way home or have made their way home from the muddy playa, we'll get a report back on this year's event and assess the future of Burning Man. First up, we've got Anna Vignet, who's social media producer here at KQED. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So a lot of what we heard reported was about a kind of mud-caked, quote, disaster, this fiasco, but you reported from the playa. Can you talk about what the scene was like on the ground? Yeah, it was uh, not as catastrophic as everyone made it seem. There were definitely people who panicked and wanted to leave early, and you don't know the reasons that they did that, but they ended up getting stuck in the mud. Uh, But most people stayed. Most people made the most of it. Uh, After a day or two of rain, you could see people like going out and dancing in their plastic bag shoes, uh, slipping and sliding everywhere. So um, people still found ways to make the best of it, have fun see the man burn, experience a whole different kind of Burning Man this year. Yeah. Let's hear a clip from one burner that you talked to about what it felt like to him. This is the Jedi. The rain really gave everybody like a strong sense of solidarity. Like everybody out here, there's no more bikes, there's no more e-bikes, there's no more RVs driving up and down. Everybody's just walking around, taking it slow, taking their time, you know, stopping to actually look at everything instead of just riding by everything. And everyone's like, oh, if you have water, a lot of people have a surplus. Some people don't have enough. 
and there's enough to share with everybody and right now as you can see like we're all here like helping each other out sticking together we're still having a good time you know what i'm saying it's 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 impressive honestly the way people have came together yeah i mean i don't know that doesn't sound like you know burn mageddon to me or anything uh no i don't think so um i think that this year it was like people who wanted an adventure of burning man really leaned into it and we're like, yeah, it rained. It, we got two months of rain in one day. We're making the most of it. <laughs> you know, can you tell us a little bit about the sort of cleanup um, process? It's called Moop Sweep. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Moop is an acronym that stands for Matter Out of Place. And Burning Man is a Leave No Trace event. And it's supposed to be everybody uh, walking in lines through your camp, picking up things off the ground, even as minute as like tiny pieces of sequins or like glitter or, you know, that we call that the moopiest party uh, costume material. Um, the string, little tiny things, um, anything that restores the playa back to its original state. And how did it go this year? I mean, given that there was this mud and it was drying out and stuff, I, I imagine it's kind of a tough clean. Yeah, I think that... Um, the issue with this year is that all of that material gets baked into the mud. And when you walk, when you bike, when you drive, it turns up the ground um, so that mm. the mud coalesces into a cake. And uh, it's kind of like all the moop gets buried underneath mm. the mud. So when it dries, it's you don't know what's under there because uh, it's been turned up so much. What so what about you? Are you going to go back? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, maybe not. I think, well, I don't know. Maybe next year, maybe not. I will see. But it's um, always an interesting place to be. I think it really challenges your idea of what a society is and um, what art and creativity are. So um, definitely open to the idea of going back. Nice. Uh, Anna Vignier, social video producer with KQED, who reported from the Playa. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. I want to add in another guest. Stephen T. Jones is a journalist and author of the 2011 book, The Tribes of Burning Man, How an Experimental City in the Desert is Shaping the New American Counterculture. Welcome back to Forum, Steve. Thanks, Alexis. So you were also there, 14th year, I think, right? Yeah. How'd it go for you? Uh, you know, for me, it was a good year. Um, you know, obviously filled with challenges. I think I've become a little uh, cynical about the, the event and something like, a disaster for bringing uh, bringing people together, bringing out the their best in sort of t taking care of themselves and each other, uh, feeling challenged by it. You have this sort of like you know crisis bonding with your fellow campmates <laughs> right, right. and neighbors. Uh, so on the whole, I thought it was good. You know, there were you know lots of things to criticize and bad examples, but on the whole, uh, for me and those around me, it was a good year. Yeah. So you've written a lot about Burning Man and environmental concerns. This year, they were climate protesters who were blocking the gates. What, what happened there, and, and how are you thinking about that? Yeah, I was thinking a lot about climate this year because I, I wrote a piece for 48 Hills that also went in BRC Weekly about uh, my camp this year ended up being uh, having a 100-foot-tall climate tower. Uh, a San Francisco state professor, uh, Andrew Oliphant, is a climatologist who did this experiment 10 years ago to measure Black Rock City as it builds up and breaks down. So he reprised that experience this year. So I wrote a piece and I analyzed the, the organization's approach to climate change, which is... By which you mean the Burning Man organization. Yeah, like the, the organizing Man, entity. Yeah, which has set very ambitious goals for itself to be carbon negative by 2030. Um, so far, it looks like just a kind of greenwashing 
and putting it off on its community and buying carbon offsets, not doing anything really serious to 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 deal with this carbon impact. So when I heard about those those protests in the beginning. Um, and saw how badly those environmental activists were treated by burners as well as the tribal police. I, I was pretty appalled. Um, oh man! Did um, the idea was they blocked the entrance yeah. though, right? And yeah, it was. I mean, it was you know a yeah. classic direct action. I yeah. think you're seeing that uh, a lot more in the climate movement these mm-hmm. days among young people. They are engaging in more direct action. They're you know stopping people where they are because because they see it as a serious mm-hmm. crisis and. I understand that, yeah, you know, right. and, and and I understand, you know, you, you make this long journey and you're blocked and it's irritating. Um, but, you know, right. you, you don't the climate need, crisis is more than irritating. You yeah. don't need to be physical with with the protesters. Uh, there was that one trial police member pulled a gun on them. That just seems like way over the top. Yeah. So I think yeah. that was a bit shameful. Um, what, what do we know about the environmental impact on the playa, which is this kind of very unusual ecosystem? Yeah. And, and I've written a lot about this. I did this piece for the Reno Gazette Journal. There, there are uh, some cumulative impacts in compaction of the soil. Uh, it's a pretty lifeless plain, so there's not a lot of flora and fauna out there. Um, and it does recover pretty well every year. Uh, there's a restoration team that is there for a month after uh, we're all gone. Uh, but let me tell you, that team this year is going to have its work cut out for them because, you know, as your r- r- reporter said, with all the mud that turned up, the moop is, you know, we all did our, did the best we can to get all we saw, but there's, there's stuff buried under that mud that is going to get turned up. And so getting it back to a pristine state this year is going to be very difficult. Yeah. I want to hear from our listeners. I mean, we know we have Burning Man regulars. We know we have Burning Man haters. Let's talk about it. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. If you're a Burning Man regular, I mean, what keeps you going back? I'd love to hear that. Or maybe... You're a person who went and now doesn't go. What happened? You can email us to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on threads, or KQED Forum. I want to add another voice into our conversation. Fabiana Rodriguez is an artist and activist. She's co-lead of a Burning Man camp for people of color called Que Viva. Uh, and she's co-founder and president of the Center for Cultural Power. She's actually joining us right now um, from the Amazon. As a matter of fact, thank you so much for making time for us, Fabiana. Thank you so much. So, Fabiana, you do lead this camp, and you decided not to go this year. Um, How come? Well, because uh, last year it became very clear to my camp and I, you know, we transitioned to solar. But the heat, you know, Nevada is two degrees hotter. Hmm. It's getting hotter because of climate change. And we didn't have the problem with the rain. We had a problem with the heat. Uh, There are many climate activists in my camp, many social justice leaders, and not only do we consider ourselves, you know, allies to the climate movement, but we have also been challenging the organization for a very long time on their race problem. And so um, it just became a moment for us to take a break to assess how and if we want to continue attending Mm -hmm. Burning Man after nine years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what had drawn you to the desert all, all, all these years? Yeah. Like, what was it? What is it about like going there that um, kind of you know did something for you? 
Yeah, I mean, when I went there, I went with a little group of folks of color, and I just remember thinking to myself, like, wow, like, white folks have kept this secret for a long time. And <laughs> I remember just dancing in the desert and seeing the art cars and seeing the level of expression and not seeing a lot of cops messing with you. And I just felt really free and able to express myself and experience art and culture on a level I've never seen. And I think that, you know, as someone who works for social justice, I think more people, especially people of color, need to experience that kind of, you know, life-changing energy out there. Um, do you think it's crept into your, I mean, you're an artist too, many people may know that. I mean, do you think it crept into your art as well? Absolutely. Like, I mean, what is crept, I'm a pleasure activist today, largely because I recognize the importance of joy, pleasure, artistic expression in our movements. It's why I built a national organization. You know, a lot of times as a nice thing to have, but in reality, culture is essential. It's what brings us together, our rituals, our ways of dancing, listening to music. And so today, a lot of my art is public art, precisely because I realized how colors and lights um, can really transform your experience in a built environment. So interesting. We're talking about the future of Burning Man. We're joined by Fabiano Rodriguez, who's an artist and activist, co-lead of a Burning Man camp for people of color called Que Viva. She's also the co-founder and president of the Center for Cultural Power. We're also joined by Stephen T. Jones, journalist and author of the 2011 book, The Tribes of Burning Man, How an Experimental City in the Desert is Shaping the New American Counterculture. Also, 14-year uh, Burner, from what I've heard. Earlier, we were also joined uh, by Anna Vignet, social video producer with KQED. And when we come back from the break, we're going to take some of your calls, take some of your comments. We're going to talk uh, with other burners who were there, as well as people who've been thinking about going or not going. The number is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the future of Burning Man with journalist and author Steve Jones, artist and activist Fabiana Rodriguez. And we're going to take a call before we bring in another voice. Uh, Catherine in Menlo Park, welcome. Hi. 
Hi, thank you very much. Uh, I w- just wanted to bring up something that you hadn't meant uh, that you hadn't mentioned, and that is burners go to the desert. We go to a place where we have to wear masks to breathe because it literally whites out and goggles to protect our eyes. That adversity helps build the community. The adversity, I mean, you could call it trauma bonding, uh, but that's kind of what it is to be a burner, is to go out there and and it helps build that community, the, the facing adversity together, and it helps really um, push together the, the principles that we have. And we have 10 principles that are radical inclusion, radical self-reliance, gifting. A lot of people don't know Burning Man when you get there, you don't buy anything. You don't barter. Everyone comes with a gift. You might have someone fix your bicycle. You might have someone rub your back. You might have someone give you a beer. You walk into a restaurant, everyone smiles or uh, one of the bars. They give you a beer as a gift. Um, it's very, very beautiful community, but we choose to go to a place where it's difficult. And everyone I spoke to ironically said it was the best burn ever, that they loved it. Just like the quote that you had before from the gentleman, people came together and really helped each other. It's that immediacy, which is another one of the principles, participation, civic responsibility. Yeah, I worry about leaving a trace. It's going to be a really tough year. We have a fantastic group of people that stay a month after Burning Man in to make sure to make a, a line across the playa walk through and make sure that every single little tiny thing gets picked up. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a beautiful community, and it does thrive on coming together in a place where we choose to yeah, not to, choose the hard path. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely we do. And also, you know, some of the rumors coming out were, were crazy. I also volunteer. We have a group called Rangers, and we're participants that pay to come there. Uh, we volunteer to help each other. And I spent seven or eight hours one day uh, helping people who needed to leave, who had a wedding to go to, yeah. uh, who had, uh, you know, other things going on in the outside world that made them need to leave that day. And we had burner buses coming and going. And we stood on the highway and helped people line up, helped them get on the, the, the bus and took care of them. There was never time. Yeah. Now, it was difficult to get there. Um, cars were getting stuck in the mud. We were uh, running gators back and forth. People were walking. Um, but it was beautiful to see everyone come yeah, together. Yeah, working together, like we heard from from the Jedi. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Catherine. We've now heard from uh, one of the Rangers, and we also heard from the Jedi. Yeah, and I, th- yeah. I think she makes an excellent point. Like, it's supposed to be difficult. That's the whole thing about Burning Man. It's always been difficult. And this year, like, it, you know, it, it wasn't the dust in the wind. It was the rain. And And frankly, you know, we got back, and uh, cleanup on our gear was much easier. <laughs> it's usually, you know, coated in thick layers of dust. And uh, the whole later later part of the event, it was pretty dust-free because of all the rain we got. Yeah. Let's bring in another voice. Uh, David Boyer is director of programming at KALW and producer and host of the podcast The Intersection, which devoted its third season to Burning Man. Welcome, David. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So, uh, David, your podcast actually featured Faviana and her work and gets into some of the inclusion issues that we're talking about here. It also celebrates Burning Man, kind of particularly like the sort of every day or every moment experience of it. Um, what is the appeal of it for you? I mean, if you've been going since 96 to now, that's a lot of a lot of time and a lot of change. But do you think it's yeah. changed as much on the ground as it sort of has in the public imagination? Um. Yes and no. I mean, it's massive. When I went, it was, a you know, 8,000 people and now it's 80,000. But in a way, it just sort of is replicated. 
Um, when I went, there were no roads. There was no infrastructure, really, just center camp. And so you would kind of leave your camp and I would find my way back by a one little red blinky light on a tent <laughs> that was somewhere nearby, near my camp. So that has changed. I mean, you want a sense of adventure, you know, get rid of the roads and, you know, you have it. You know, it was really, it was um, edgier, perhaps, and also danger, more dangerous. I mean, you know, three people died that year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or two people were run over and one person died. So, you know, I, it has a history of, of you know, extreme weather and extreme, uh, you know, occurrences. But, you know, one thing I want to keep in mind is you look back at the beats, you look back at the hippie movement, both of those movements lasted 10 years. Hmm. 10. This has been going on for 37 years. I've been going for 27 years. And that's crazy. And I, why do I go back 27 years later? Because I'm learning every single time. Last year, it was insanely hot. I basically forgot what I had learned in the past you know, 25 years. <laughs> Sun burned it a, out of you. Yeah. I brought, I brought a tent. <clears throat> And I basically, you know, left there uh, wheezing. The only interview I was able to do pretty much was with Fabiana. Uh, and the rest of the time I was just trying to stay alive. It was so insanely hot. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't go back this year so- somewhat like Fabiana because last year was really rough and um, I wasn't ready for it. I'm also, you know, 27 years older than I was when I first went. Yeah. You know, um, Got a comment coming in, um, and I think maybe we'll go around the horn. We'll start uh, with David on this. You know, Daniel writes, having gone to Burning Man from 1999 until 2005, I can tell you that going to Burning Man now has nothing to do with the Burning Man I know. When pay and play camp started happening, the airplane started arriving, Paris Hilton showed up, everyone moved from a tent to a Winnebago, Burning Man was over. They will tell you it's still fabulous, but as a pioneer in the early days, it's nothing like we experienced. And as Burning Man founder Larry Harvey said, I never expected everyone to come every year. I anticipated it being a pilgrimage that you took every few years. Um, What do you think, David? Well, I mean, I think it really, I think, you know, it's 80,000 different experiences. Um, For the people who have never been, their first year is mind-blowing. I mean, there's nothing visually like it on the planet. And, you know, to be cut off from your phones. I mean, that has changed a little bit, but even last year, like you don't really have phone service or cell service or internet really. So, you know, I think, yes, of course it's changed, but you know, if you're new to this experience that is so different than the rest of the world, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, my question, if I can, is to wonder why the media chose to cover it the way it did. And what are the implications when something like this happens over a holiday weekend and there are no other stories out there, why they choose to turn something that could have been a teachable moment into something, you know, where there's mention of cannibalism and Ebola. Yeah. yeah. You know, why? Why is that? So instead of, you know, I want to look a little bit outward, frankly. Yeah. And, well, you know, I want to come back to that because I think there I think there are. There are reasons, and I think it's kind of the lamination of the tech industry hate with Burning Man. Which, but, but let's hold on to that for a second, Fabiana. I want to um, come back to you on kind of the both kind of the difference between the organization, um, that is to say, the Burning Man organization, and what people are doing um, on the playa. The Burning Man organization, right, has these ten principles, uh, and we heard you know caller Catherine earlier mention them. Um, talk to me about how you think those principles do or do not 
um, kind of create the sort of experience you'd like to see out there? Yeah, well, you know, the interpretation and how the um, 10 principles get applied to the design of the event, really, it matters who is in leadership. And for a long time, you know, we said, hey, you can't have radical inclusion with 1% white, excuse me, with 1% black people. That's not radical inclusion. And so I do think that the organization needs to change. I think the leadership needs to change to reflect a changing culture. For example, leave no trace. We are not leave no trace. The trash just gets moved from Black Rock City to Tahoe or Reno, which means that the organization needs to rethink how that is implemented, how that culture is taught. Radical inclusion, you can't have radical inclusion with, you know, most of the attendees come from California, right? We are one of the most diverse states. It is not okay that the organization has yet to make a formal statement on anti-racism, especially in the wake of the George Floyd um, uprisings, uh, the organization has not evolved. And so I think that what's important uh, is that the leadership of the organization understand that these 10 principles meant something when it was overwhelmingly white folks, and it still is, it's overwhelmingly white men. And how can we shift that in a changing reality, right? In the age of climate crisis, in the age of a renewed conversation on we don't, we don't want the city of the future to be a white city, right? We don't want majority men on the playa when there is also a history of sexual assault. And so I think it's up to us as burners to really demand that this nonprofit organization uh, shift their leadership. And I'm starting with the board of directors to really uh, reflect the changing culture of today. Hmm. I uh, just want to note also that we did, obviously, invite a representative from the Burning Man organization onto the show. Didn't hear back um, by by showtime, however. You know, Fabian, I just want to ask this, though. I mean, um, Burning Man is a kind of coalition of different subcultures. What do you say to burners who are just sort of like, well, you know, but these subcultures just, you know, they just happen to be a lot of white men. No, it's by design. It's by it's by how founded and its inability to shift. The organization could have, you know, we're, we're organized by camps, right? The organization could have said, hey, we are in a racial reckoning moment. We need to shift the way we think about this. And it starts with the camps. It starts with the artists who are commissioned to do art. It starts with how camps are placed. And it also starts with getting your staff trained on these issues, hiring a DEI. They have yet to hire anyone to address diversity and inclusion. And when it comes to climate, you know, climate change disproportionately is affecting people of color. It disproportionately affects affects indigenous communities. And so I think when we're having this conversation on the impacts of climate, it's an opportunity to say, hey, as the protester said, let's ban flights coming in. Let's really look at Leave No Trace. Clearly, that hasn't been working for at least a decade. Let's try to think about how we can implement waste. You know, for me, I think that this whole concept of also radical self-reliance, I question that. We don't we don't live in a level playing field, right? There's people with disabilities. I know there's a death camp. So I think that in the same way that culture changes, Burning Man needs to reimagine how it can meet this moment when there's not only been a failure on the infrastructure as it responds to climate crisis, but there's also been a failure on how it responds to racial diversity. Yeah. I think more needs I to also, be done. I want to add something there, you know, which is that. This I is think David when, Boyer. Yes, this is David Boyer. 
Um, when gains are made, I think we have to acknowledge them. And, you know, I, I when I covered it, there were like five artists of color in the past five years. Last year, you know, they bumped it up to 20 percent. Um, I felt more people of color on the, you know, on the playa as did Favi. Um, you know, there was the Black Burner Project, a huge and a huge, uh, you know, art piece from uh, Aaron Douglas and Black Ashe. Ashe. And, you know, so I do think that, of course, I mean, 2% Black people is not, is not okay. <laughs> but it was 1% the year before, and frankly, every year before that. Since I started going, it has never been above 1%. So, you know, and the number of people, um, of Latino people doubled this year, 5% to 10%. So whatever was, whatever has worked, I think needs to be replicated and whatever is not working. I mean, the fact that the some of the board members have lifetime memberships to the board, I'm not sure that's a great thing. Hmm. Um, you know, if they're all white, sorry. Um, so I think it's, I think it's a mixed bag and, and nuance, I think is what's often lost in all of these conversations. Sure. Um, we've got, let's go, let's go back to the calls, um, for one sec. Let's go to, uh, Kara in Berkeley. Welcome. Hey, hi. Um, I, um, uh, it's great to hear this, this, um, particular topic. I was a burner. <laughs> I, I feel like this is my, I'm telling my age. I started going in 95 <laughs> and, um, I know, um, I was very tight with, um, the founders, et cetera, et cetera, back then because we were a small group of people. Um, and it was nuts. It was less than a thousand of us. And yeah, it was definitely edgier. Um, I want to talk, I want to say that Fabiana, everything she said, I a hundred percent agree with, um, in terms of racial, um, identity at the, at the burn, I met a gentleman in 99 uh, who was African-American, and he was the first to say, this is kind of wild, like it's me and all the white folks. And so I agree with that. Also, the, you know, the green man one year, and there was there was like a burning of a whole bunch of effigies, and it was the sky was black. So I was like, well, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. My thing, though, and I don't think it's been talked about, um, is the immediacy, which changed, because I haven't gone in a while. Mm-hmm. I still might go back, um, and I have, you know, something to say about that, But because I want to give it a chance. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But um, I don't know if any of you is old enough to remember in the 70s, there was a commercial with a Native American man on a canoe, and he was, you know, in this river and seeing all the trash, and he had, like, a little uh, tear drip down his face. And for me, that moment was, um, it was late at night. I think it was like in the um, late 2000, like 2009. And um, I went into a beautiful camp. It was a tea camp just to chill out. And there was this wonderful guy pouring tea for all of us. We all sat down and started to talk. And when I turned to the woman on the right, she went onto her phone and started, you know, downloading things onto the internet and talking to friends um, that were Mm. clearly not at the festival. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it was like, that was my moment. You know, the immediacy ended because we didn't have, when Katrina hit, none of us knew about it till we Mm. left the festival. Uh, But the last thing I want to say, because I don't want to give up on Burning Man. I met my British husband there. Um, I watched friends have babies and get married. It's a really magical place. I think it's lost its way. Yeah. And just like when Woodstock never repeated, right? But if we think about it, if Woodstock repeated every single year, I bet it would look a lot like Coachella. 
think that Burning Man has yeah. a chance. Right, yeah. To turn itself around, and it's got that. And and it was. Okay, hold on there, because I just I don't want to miss. I, I think you made a really important point, um, which I want to come to Steve on, which is so much of what's been happening and the kind of coverage is being pushed by the fact that there is so much social media now created. There's so much content, and thank you so much for um, for your perspective, care. There's just content being created out of Burning Man in a way that just was not possible. Um, in the past, do you think that that has changed the way that people approach Burning Man because it is this kind of content performance? Yeah, and you know, I, I think like like slagging slagging Burning Man, the organization, is a favorite pastime of burners. Um, <laughs> and the the event is really interesting because it's this weird hybrid where um, it's a very bottom up event on the playa. All the strengths of it are about those who go and do cool things, but it's run in a very top down way. Um, and the organization doesn't have buy-in from its constituent community. So it converted to a nonprofit a little over 10 years ago. Now, um, I and others were advocating, as you do that, let's get some constituent communities representation on the board, mm. you know, uh, communities of color, the sound camps, the, the big artists, the sort of various component parts of the organization. They decided not to do that. Instead, they just put a bunch of rich people on their board who were focused on fundraising and so the organization continues to be very insular and out of touch with hmm. with the sort of bottom-up nature. I think we even saw it during the disaster this year. Hmm. Um, you know, I think some people gave the organization pretty good marks for how it handled it. Uh, I didn't. Um, I, I think that they, they left people without the information they needed mm -hmm. to sort of plan. I think that's why some people freaked out and left the playa. But... The sort of bottom-up bit where everyone took care of each other and made sure everybody had enough, that was in full force. Mm -hmm. So it's this. there's this weird sort of um, dichotomy. Right. The two levels are not necessarily working together. Yeah. We're talking with, uh, about the future of Burning Man with Steve Jones, journalist and author of a book on Burning Man. Fabiana Rodriguez, artist and activist who's co-lead of a Burning Man camp for people of color called Que Viva. Uh, David Boyer, director of programming for KALW, who made a podcast uh, series about Burning Man. Wanted to get to some comments after the break. Stay with us. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the future of Burning Man with Fabiana Rodriguez, an artist and activist, co-lead of a Burning Man camp for people of color called Que Viva. David Boyer, who dedicated the third season of the podcast, The Intersection, to Burning Man. And Steve Jones, who's a journalist and who's written a ton about Burning Man over the years. Let me get to some of these comments that have come in. One listener writes... Burners will burn, but in the future, get off the playa and move to regional sites more able to handle human impact. 4,000 acres of occupation by 73,000 people with variable commitment to the principles is just excessive. And enforce the pack-in, pack-out, leave no trace. Having volunteer servants cleaning up moop is business as usual and means nothing. Another listener tweets, it was my first burn and I had a great time. I went for the community, not for the party, and the adverse weather just pulled our neighborhood closer together. We plan to burn back better next year. Um, uh, Amaya Y on Discord uh, writes, as a first-time burner of color, I love the sense of community and good intentions, except the warnings to lock up your bike. It was a great being in a state of wonderment, of not knowing what or who you will encounter. One thing I loved was the metal Pegasus and the Black Rock City Philharmonic. Even with the rain, it was great to connect with my neighbors. Shout out to the Beer Fairy. And Fabiana, I want to direct this last um, comment to you. I'm, I'm really curious about this. Donna writes, I've heard all the great things about Burning Man, but was dissuaded from going when I heard reports from men who went to party and look at women's bare breasts in take photos. One of the things we haven't talked about is you know, we're kind of in the post-Me Too world here. And Burning Man has always had this kind of sexy component that has sort of run through it and in at least some people's experience of what it is to go to Burning Man. How do you think that works now in, you know, the year 2023? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's about the culture that we set in the container. There's a tremendous amount of year-round communication from the organization to camps to artists and how we think about gender justice, how we think about fighting sexual assault, how we think about inclusion and even our relationship to that land reimagined in this container that we've created but the organization needs to take an effort and embrace change and i think one of the things that is very challenging for me with the organization is that there is this, such this attitude of almost it's very libertarian of almost like we don't want to get too involved and yet they're very involved i mean they, they are shaping the culture of the event in a way that is not adapting to the reality uh, it could mean, for example, requirements for all camps to have trainings on how to prevent sexual assault, how to, you know, understand race um, in a post-George uh, Floyd racial reckoning moment. And it could include, you know, one of the, the dreams I've had, one of my dreams is to actually be on the board of directors to help shape the next era of Burning Man, because I don't think, I think it needs a new type of leadership. I think mm -hmm. it needs a new CEO, new board of directors, is imagine if we had a service day. Right. A service day where we go do serve on the land. I just think there's so many different ways to get, you know, burners to engage in a different way with the playa um, that need to be uh, sort of designed by the organization and stewarded by the organization. But it will require a different set of voices. Hmm. Let's uh, bring in another car. Let's go to uh, Hadley in Berkeley. Welcome. Hey. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm um, so known uh, as Burned Out Man. Burned Out Man, uh, yeah. 
burned out, man. There we go. Because uh, I used to be on the staff at Burning Man for quite a while, uh, 98 through 2002. I was one of the main composers for the Burning Man opera we used to have, and I was drafted in there by my old friend Pepe Ozan. Uh, your, your, your guests have covered many important things. I think the, the superficial sexuality of it is, is kind of depressing for a lot of us. Uh, but it has been an environmental disaster from day one. It, it cannot be stated enough. When I was there, there was typically between 100 and 500 abandoned cars every year at Burning Man. Burning Man burst through its first few uh, dumps. It had to keep buying new garbage dumps every year. And all you have to do is read the New York Times this morning. They have, they pay the uh, federal government $2.8 million a year on average just to clean up the garbage that is left by all of these very insensitive, self-empowered burners. And it's, it's, kind of appalling yeah. well Hadley, let me um steve i want to come to you um you know try to try and answer some of um what hadley burned out man has, has been telling us but also to kind of link back to one of the earlier comments which is sort of what might the answer be when people talk about regional burns or like decentralizing burning man you know maybe even to just maybe even just for a year to give the give the playa a break and a chance to recover after this year. Say, like, is is that on the menu of options for you, Steve? Yeah. In fact, um, one of the callers mentioned that that was sort of the founder, Larry Harvey's vision when the whole regional network ended up becoming more popularized. And as the event got bigger and bigger uh, and started to deal with the ticket scarcity issue. I mean, 80,000, I think, is too big. But, but the idea that Burning Man becomes a pilgrimage and instead burners focus on their regional burns um, and even more regional burns because that's when they're going to have more power to work on the diversity issues, to work on the leave no trace issues. You know, it is such a massive place out there and it's such a harsh environment. And, and I just want to correct something that the, this like 2.9 million dollar uh, permit fee is not for BLM to clean up the playa. It's it's their staffing during the event. Uh, it is up to the organization with a team of volunteers, the restoration team, and they spend about a month on the playa doing that that cleanup. So it is the organization that's responsible for that. And they're and they're graded by the BLM at the end. Yeah. And this year, like I said, because of all this mud and moop, uh, they're going to be Great harshly. And, and so he mentioned the abandoned cars too. There are so many this year because there's so many people that tried to leave the playa early and mm. they're stuck in various places in the playa. It was it was pure comedy watching this when we were leaving. Oh man. <laughs> so uh we got a couple of comments um about kind of Burning Man as an exclusive event. One listener writes, you know, you need to be able to take time off work and it's very expensive. I find that regional burns encompass the tenants and community of Burning Man much better than the actual festival and would encourage anyone who can't afford the time and money for the burn to look into a local burn. Another listener writes, Burning Man is an exclusionary event. It has established an international in-group and anyone who is not a burner is out. Social justice, counterculture, the vast majority of people on this planet will never have the wealth or social connections to make it to the playa. There's probably more socioeconomic diversity at the Kentucky Derby. It's the Bohemian Grove with better status symbols. 
Desmond writes in to say, uh, attending Burning Man is voluntary. You can't mandate or dictate the diversity on the playa. Also to the speaker that complains about the garbage. Garbage is created by people, whether they are on the playa or at home. The organization has a phenomenal record of lowering the impact of garbage and moving it off the playa, but it has to go somewhere. Um, let's bring, well, oh, oh, go ahead. Something there. I mean, yes, it has to go somewhere. But the amount of consumerism that takes place in the lead up to Burning Man, go to any Costco, go to the Walmart in Reno, uh, the amount of stuff that is purchased, it goes, yes, it has to go somewhere. It goes out to the playa. Some of it goes bad and is thrown out. So I, I think if we could lean more heavily into that decommodification and deconsumerization of it, maybe that means your outfit isn't as sassy for Instagram, but like, you know, we don't need the feathers out there. So I think it's a balancing act that that has to take place. Yeah, let's go back to the phones. Um, Paul in Oakland, welcome. Hello, hello, Steve Jones. It's Prince Paul. Hey, Prince uh, Paul, how you doing? I'm glad you called in. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm a 20 year uh, veteran of Burning Man. Um, I've been part of some of the, the bigger art pieces that have been out there. Um, this year did not work on anything. I was I called it AARP, another artist in recovery program. <laughs> um, and and I had the opportunity to camp in the outskirts with um, um, a new friend's camp, a very diverse camp. They had been supporting um, the black artists from last year and this year. Um, I, I saw more diversity this year than I have in many, many years past. Um, I got the opportunity to talk and help uh, work with new artists that were really trying to get off the ground out there. Um, I, I and Steve Steve knows me very well. I, I love to bash the org for all their mishaps, anything like that. Um, but you know, everything that we do out there is is up to us, the individual burners, and to expect the org to do things and to make it more diverse, it it it's irresponsible of us. It's it's that's the radical self reliance. You have to rely on yourselves and. The African-American community that I saw out there that they built, the org did not do that. They did not do that diversity that they are doing themselves is really commendable. And um, I also feel that the, the amount of ecozoic toilets I saw out there was very commendable. I think, um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of cleanup. Um, but, but like Steve said earlier, the, the harshness of that environment that we're in Create as creative all of, of it. us. Yeah, it's and totally part up, of it. We've come up with new, ingenuitive ways to survive, and a lot of those things have been taken off playa and they've been used in. Um, they've used. They've been used in in crisis situations all over the world. Yeah. And this is just a canvas, and we are a reflection of everything that's that's in the world out there, and it's the canvas for us yeah. to learn and grow. Hey, yeah, and it's it's incorrect. It's incorrect that the organization has not done anything. The organization has a BIPOC ticketing program that launched last year, largely because a lot of us organized and demanded. The organization has began to have deep, deep talks about race and inclusion. The reason you see black artists is because it was a deliberate effort to bring them. So the organization does get behind things, but it's been minimal and more has to get done. So I just want to correct that there's more people because there's an entire committee working on this thing black artists with um their projects yeah let's uh i, I want to go back to the phones a little bit of a different perspective here uh mishi in san francisco welcome hey 
Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm a hairdresser. I have a salon here in the city. It's called Morphic, and we do a braid bar pop-up. We did 80 clients this year, and the pe- my clients look phenomenal, and they come year after year, and they just take so much pride in my braiders. They're, you know, um, they're just so skilled, and I get to, you know, facilitate this incredible week and it's an incredible business and I'm hoping to scale it um, this next year but I guess like one thing I just have like a hard time with like I I have qualms with they thought like we produce so much trash you know Mm -hmm. and like like maybe five people have natural hairstyles um, but yeah, everybody gets these like really amazing, colorful hairstyles that are just like so like elevated and like upping the ante every year. Yeah. And um, yeah, just opening up the packages, like we take out the trash all the time, and we know like the hair is going to be used once. Trash, like a hundred packets, you know. Yeah. And I've contacted Burning Man, and I've like contacted the companies to like ask them like is there a recycling program we could do like could we bag it and you know be in charge of that like just just recycling program trying to close the loop i've been told that there's nothing yeah exactly yeah Yeah. everybody says like oh sorry we don't have anything for you yeah. You know, Misha, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the kind of like closing the loop and just like kind of the, the way that this, that, that Burning Man tries to, and, and all the people associated with it are trying to live up to this kind of utopian idea of, of how this all should work. And so I wanted to give each of our guests just a little moment um, to talk about sort of what is the future of Burning Man, like the happy future of Burning Man that you can imagine, you know, 37 years from now, you're like, all right, we solved it. You know, it's still around and now it's better. Um, and just real quick, Steve, you first. Oh, um, you know, I do think kind of going back to to the issue of, of whether we keep doing this big of event in this place or it transforms into something else. I think one thing we didn't talk about is this year is the first year in over a decade that there are lots of tickets available uh, at the end. This is a new thing. Uh, what it bodes for the future, I don't know. Um, I think that's why I, I think it was a little more diverse on the playa this year at least my sort of casual observations in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, because it wasn't s- such a scarcity issue. You didn't have to plan way in advance mm-hmm. to get your ticket. You could kind of come more spur of the moment. Um, and I think to be able to put the ethos in, into play in something that wasn't as harsh and forbidding mm-hmm. uh, and of the scale that Black Rock City is now, I think maybe yeah. that's where the, f- the future is headed. Fabiana? Yeah, sorry, I couldn't, can you... Oh, yeah, sure. I was just saying, like, you know, you're, like, quick, you know, deep in the future. How has Burning Man changed so that it's, you know, still awesome? Well, I mean, I think that I've I've always found Burning Man awesome. I love Burning Man. It's why I go year after year. Um, And uh, this year I did an art piece, even though I didn't attend, about all the creatures who live Mm -hmm. in that desert in the surrounding region. And one thing I would really is for us to give back to the environment. I would love to see us go back and help clean the playa and just like be more committed to that land, whether that means Mm. a smaller event or 
service days for the mm-hmm. land. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, and how about you, Dave Boyer? Uh, I'll see you around a lake, maybe one of the Great Lakes. I, I think, you know, the desert's rough. Yeah. Um, you know, it requires you to bring so much stuff. I just don't know. I mean, I love it. It's nothing like it. But uh, I think, you know, water would be a really... Uh, <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I know it's kind of a desert thing, but how about if it were about it around water? It started on a beach, you know? It started right next to water. So there's no reason it yes. can't be. You know, it's a it's a really interesting idea. I I mean, I it does feel to me like this is I don't know why exactly, and maybe Steve, you know why. It feels like there have been complaints for decades, of course, but this feels like a moment in time where people really maybe it's just the scale of it, maybe it's enough time has passed with enough different complaints that people are kind of rethinking some of the axioms even of like what Burning Man is supposed to be. Yeah, no, I think that that's the true. Media. You know, the, the media it was like nonstop wall to wall coverage about how horrific this was. I mean. <laughs> My mother, you know, was, uh, you know, horrified that I might even be there, you know? Yeah. So I, you know, you cannot underestimate that. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, just to return to that really briefly here, very much at the, the end of the show here, I think it is just that, you know, there's so much content coming out of there. And so as a result, there's just a lot more stuff for the media to do in a way that like wasn't available. Well, yeah. and uh, th- there was this Wired article uh, recently and, and one little line, it, it said it, it, it Bernie Man achieved its sort of peak of cultural relevance before the pandemic. And I think that's probably true. I think Bernie Man at this point has become easier to mock. Um, I've been going a long time, but the but the but some of the true believer stuff I find really irritating too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think we need to uh, maybe be, be humbled, take a step back and decide what we really want out of this rather than just continuing mm-hmm. to plow forward with the city of 80,000 people yeah. Yeah. year after yeah. year. That's right. Um, yeah, and I would also- oh, wait, we're well, running out of time, add- Fabiana. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, we've been talking about the future of Burning Man with artist and activist Fabiana Rodriguez, uh, the author of The Tribes of Burning Man, Steve Jones, and longtime burner and host of the podcast, The Intersection, David Boyer. Thank you so much to all of you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Earlier we were, yeah, earlier we were joined by Anna Vignet, social video producer at KQED. You can check out her video on our TikTok. It's been the future of Burning Man. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.